Well, let me just start off by saying up front that I know there is for some an extreme sense of awkwardness anytime the thought of a preacher talking about sex comes up. Matter of fact, just the topic itself uh, for some people is just sort of off limits. I think um, in my own upbringing, it wasn't something that was often talked about in the house, and even the word sort of maybe caused a little bit of, you know, red cheeks and, uh, you know, a little blushing. Um, and so for some in the church and for some of the church's history, it's been a subject that has just been seen as kind of avoidable, unnecessary. I remember uh, preaching at a previous congregation on this subject, and a dear saint, an 80-plus-year-old man, said afterwards, well, that was entirely unnecessary. And I understood what he was saying, but in fact, when we look at actually what the Bible teaches, the Bible talks an awful lot about the subject, so much so that we really can't ignore it, especially as we're in a series in the Proverbs that talks so much about wise living and, in fact, brings up the issue of sexuality quite a bit. This is especially appropriate right now, too, because our present culture has never really been more confused about the topic than it is right now. So, in fact, it is necessary and it is unavoidable. We need to talk about it. Nevertheless, there are many potential pitfalls that can happen when this topic is brought up. I know uh, there can be the boring sexuality sort of talk, so the preacher sometimes can make it seem as if it's just something of a necessary evil that only produces children, and beyond that, don't even bring it up. Or the preacher can give the moralizing sexuality sermon, the angry red-faced preacher, you know, that makes it seem like the worst possible evil ever in the world. And then, of course, there is the sermon where the preacher gets a little too comfortable and a little too cozy talking about it, and you kind of are like, ew, stop. Like, okay, we get it. You don't have to be so vivid, you know. That, that's more and more a thing. And I'm not going to do that tonight. I promise you, I'm not. Um, but so, you know, there's all these different aspects. And what we want to try and get to is wise sexuality. That's what the Proverbs teach us. So with that, by way of introduction, let's go to our text. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, and then verses 15 through 23. It reads like this. For the lips of a forbidden woman... And for our purposes here, it could be a forbidden person. There's reasons for why specifically it was woman in this context. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. 
and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. End of reading. So as I began saying, the Proverbs give us wise teaching about this topic. And what we find out, if we read the rest of the book and we read the rest of the Bible on sexuality, we're going to find out a few things that are generally spoken about. Number one, it is uh, spoken of as something that is created by God. Number two, it is spoken of as a gift meant, yes, for procreation, but also for pleasure. And yet, as with any good gifts, there are limitations, certain things that are forbidden. Specifically in our text, the author speaks of a forbidden woman, or for our passage, or for our purposes here today, a forbidden person. And so by analyzing, I think, this character through the verses we just read, tonight our goal is to become a little wiser about this forbidden person. So first off, who is the forbidden person? Well, we might define it as any sexual relationship internally or externally outside of the covenant of marriage. This is sort of the biblical worldview. This is what is generally referred to in scripture by the term immorality, or in Greek, it's actually the word porneia, where we get our word for pornography. A few examples in the Bible would include Hebrews chapter 13, 4, where we're told premarital sex is not ideal. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled, is what it says. Sometimes that word in, in the Bible is translated, or, or you might hear the word fornication, speaking of that. It also includes extramarital sexual activity. Of course, the Sixth Commandment says you shall not commit adultery. So pretty clear there. Having uh, sleeping with someone that you're not married to, even if you already are married. Immorality would include uh, the viewing of pornography, any lusting after someone that is not your spouse. After all, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, I say to you that everyone who looks at a person with lustful intent has already committed adultery with them in his heart. And the list could go on and on of various other uh, various others. Uh, things that are mentioned in the scriptures, but I'm not really going into that because I think I think the prohibition has been made pretty clear. If it's not somebody that you're married to, then everything sort of is out of bounds according to scripture's definition of what's appropriate sexuality. But I want to get deeper. I don't want to just stand up here and say, this is not right, and this is right. I want to dig a little deeper and say, and tell you why. Why are these things forbidden? Why are these things an abuse of this good gift? And the main reason the Bible gives is because it's not how your creator, your designer, designed you to live. This is the idea presented in Scripture, that he, he tells you in his word, as he's already mentioned many times throughout, he's designed you a, a specific way, and if you go against the design, then you end up hurting yourself and others. I'll try and flesh this out for you. When I was uh, 18, I was the not-so-proud owner of a Volkswagen Fox. I don't know if any of you have seen an old Volkswagen Fox, but they, 
They weren't uh, the most amazing, uh, hip, cool car. And one day, I mean, I, and I, I've always been pretty honest with, with you folks. I'm not necessarily very, I'm not very mechanical at all. And so I don't really know how to fix, like, anything. And this is especially true when I was 18, 19. I mean, I've learned a little bit now that I'm 40. But anyway, I was driving down the expressway in my sweet Volkswagen Fox, and it began to overheat. You know, steam and everything's pouring out of the hood, and I'm, you know, not sure what to do. So I pull off to the side of the expressway, and, uh, and thankfully, right at the exit there, there's a gas station. So I pull into the gas station, and I'm sitting there in the parking lot, and I, I pull open... The, uh, the hood and steam just poof, everywhere, you know, it's burning, it's so hot. And I notice, you know, of course, that, you know, if the steam's coming out of, I think, the radiator, I think that's, or something, you know, I don't really know. But I know that, that there's a part that you can pour water into. Like, I know that that happens at a time. <laughs> and so I figure, since all the steam is coming out, all this water's coming out, that probably what I need to do is go get some water from the gas station and then fill her up. That is not what you do when your car is overheating. Because when I did that, I literally heard like a like this pop sound, real loud. And it jarred me and I was like, I don't know what I did. I don't know what happened. So I called my dad. I was like, hey, dad, what does it mean when you pour water into an overheating car and it pops? And he says, oh, congratulations. You just blew your head gasket. I said, okay, so how much does it cost to fix it? He's like, no, that, your car's done. Like, sayonara, goodbye, no more car for you. Lesson learned, lesson learned. Now, you might be wondering at this exact moment, why on earth am I telling you this story of my incredible foolishness and stupidity at that age? Well, here's the deal. If I had just read any instruction manual from anybody on earth, this would have been abundantly clear. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's not how the car is designed. But because I didn't pay attention to the design of the automobile, I ended up literally killing the automobile, my not-so-beautiful Volkswagen Fox. And the Bible's picture is that, that when we're outside of God's sort of design for sex, what ends up happening is we end up hurting ourselves and others. That's, that's what he basically says. That, that there's more to it. There's no such thing as sort of casual hookup culture. That's not a thing. There's always something deeper going on. It's just the way we were designed. Now, is it because God is a cosmic killjoy? No, it's because, and this is just what his word says, don't blame me the messenger, it's because he says he loves you and he wants to protect you from stuff that will hurt you. This is the way he puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, I designed you to glorify me with your body, and if you're not using your body in the way that I designed you for, you're not doing that. He says in verse 20, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, just so you know, the church has always had issues with this. I mean, going back to this letter in the very first century of the church, very earliest days of the church, you had people that were sleeping with family members. You had all sorts of immorality happening. And so this has always been an issue in the church. There's always been confusion. It's nothing new the day we're living in. But that is 
That is why there is something forbidden. Because it's, it's bad for us. It's not what we're meant for. So why then, if this is the case, if, it's, if, it's gonna, if it does harm to us, and we do see a number of examples, especially now in Western culture that has been so permissive since the late 60s revolution, the sexual revolution, you're seeing this huge backlash in mainstream culture about the dangers of sort of, um, of just casual hooking up. Uh, why is it, knowing the dangers, that we might be tempted to go after the forbidden person? Well, the text seems to imply three things. Number one, we make believe that we're stronger than we are. I'm convinced that's what we, we see described for us in the proverb here. Now, I didn't read this verse um, just, be, just for the sake of time, but, but the man in this, this sort of story of the forbidden person is, is sort of lured into going to see this forbidden person. And so the writer of the proverb says to this young man, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Now, why do you have to say that? Because this young man was going near the door of the forbidden person's house. He believed he could handle it. I won't. I wouldn't. I won't fall. I won't. And pride always, of course, comes before a fall. Now, how does this happen in our day? Let me bring it down. Oh, no worries. We're just friends. Yes, that happen to be very attracted to each other. And yes, we're just doing a little harmless flirting, but no, no worries. And no worries if we're at an after-work party and we just had a few, you know, to drink. No, no, it's fine. I'm, I won't. I would never, no. I wouldn't do that. I'm not irresponsible. No, don't worry. We're just going to stay in the night. We're just going to watch Netflix. Just going to watch Netflix for a long time. No, no, I can, I mean, no, I know I've fallen and, and watched things on the internet that I really shouldn't watch. I know it and I feel terrible about it the next day, but I, I'm, I am totally responsible. I can handle it. We believe we're stronger than we are, and that's the first problem. It's, as soon as we believe that we're even strong in and of ourselves, we're slowly hitting the path of destruction. Never believe you're stronger than you are. And then we're also tempted in the text because the forbidden person tells us what we want, what we want to hear and makes us feel the way we want to feel. Look at verse 3. For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. You're so funny. You're so funny. Oh my gosh. You are so smart. You know, you're so beautiful. I, I don't know how, I don't know how your boyfriend can't see how beautiful you are. Does he, he doesn't tell you that? I mean, don't underestimate the power of just affirmation. And if you're, if, if you are found, if you find yourself in a relationship where somebody is not affirming to you or not treating you with respect and dignity, and then someone comes along and is like, you're so amazing. Hey, we like that. We like having our ego massaged. And so we fall into the temptation of the forbidden person. Or it could be 
for married people not delighting in one's spouse. The, the way the author puts it in verse 15, he says, drink water from your own cistern. He's, he's literally referring to the man's wife. He said, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be your, for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, being intoxicated always in her love. Yes, those words are in the Bible. What's he saying? You've lost focus on your wife. You've lost focus on your spouse. You've lost focus on the one that God has for you. And you're looking at other places for what only she or he is meant to give you. So for all these reasons, when we believe we're stronger than we are, when we let, when we let somebody inflate our ego and sort of like allow ourselves to give into it, you know, or for those who are married when we are not focused on our spouse. Yeah. Makes sense that we be tempted towards that which is forbidden. And what are the results when we go after that which is forbidden? Well, the proverb says at the end of the matter, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. This is the end of your passage in your program. And he is held fast in the cores of sin. You get this picture of somebody completely trapped, wrapped up. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his folly, he is led astray. Indeed, that picture of being trapped, unable to get out as if you're tied down, is, is just such a perfect picture of uh, sexual entanglement. I'll never forget the day that I found out a spiritual mentor of mine, a man I was very, very close to, who had taught me so much about God from my teenage years. I'll never forget the day that he confessed to having an affair on his wife. It was a long-term affair. It wasn't, it wasn't just a one-night sort of, you know, I, I can't believe it, I made a mistake. It wasn't that. It was a developed relationship held in secret for many, many months with someone in the congregation that people knew. And I'll, I can remember that time of seeing him and his wife sitting on stage just sobbing. I mean sobbing confessing, him confessing and weeping with such... You know, the Bible describes hell as, as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that moment in the congregation, like when you talk to people, that's what it felt like. It felt like it brought weeping and gnashing of teeth because there were people that were weeping or were being so heartbroken over what this trusted man had done. And yet there were other people that were gnashing their teeth in anger over what this trusted man had done. It, was, it had brought so much destruction. The whole thing was absolutely horrific. It was, the, it was such a wake-up call to me. At that age, to look back and go, if that can happen to him, 
There's no doubt it could happen to me. So I better, I better watch it. I better not let myself believe I'm stronger than I am. I better not put myself in those compromising positions because I don't want this decision to feel like death. And that's where it leads. It, it kills us. We live in a time where we fool ourselves into believing that casual sex is a thing with no consequences and we, deep down, we know better. We know it. So what if you're sitting here having fallen in this way? What if you've gone after that which is forbidden? Here's the really devastating thing. It's not really a question. Jesus says, in fact, we all have. Because anybody who's ever lusted after anyone, in his eyes, is guilty. And that means every one of us can't sit here looking down on anybody else or feeling superior to anybody else. Everybody has to just come to the end right here and say, yeah, to some extent, guilty. So then is there any hope for you? Is there any, is there any escape from the trap that leads to death? Thanks be to God there is. The Bible says that no matter how many times we may have gone after that which is forbidden in thought or word or even deed, all those sins have been accounted for and credited to another in our place. Instead of us getting the death we deserve for our failures, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, takes that punishment for you on his cross. To reverse the verses of verses 22 and 23, it could be read like this. Because the iniquities of your wicked acts ensnared him, and because he was held fast in the cords of your sin, he has declared you free. Because he dies for your lack of discipline, he can assure you that he will never go astray from you. One of the best illustrations, and I'm going to close with this, I've ever heard of God's passion to redeem even the most, for lack of a better term, sexually immoral of us, came from the short part of a sermon I heard from a pastor named Matt Chandler some years ago. He tells how he had befriended a 26-year-old single mother he was attending college with, and and at the time, she was in an extramarital affair with a married man. Uh, she, you know, her life was, was a bit of a mess. It was a, it was a tangled mess. And Matt was trying to reach her with the gospel. And so one day he asked her if she'd come out to a concert with him and a few other guys. And, and he knew, I mean, he was asking her like a concert, but he knew that like the people that were playing the concert were Christians and there was going to be Christian stuff there. And he knew that there was going to even be a preacher there. 
And she agreed. She agreed to go with him. And so he was super excited. He brings this girl with him, this 26-year-old single mom. She's out for the night to go see this concert. And the preacher gets up and the preacher says, now tonight I want to talk to you about sex. And Matt says he started getting real, real nervous. For the reasons I told you at the beginning. The preacher begins by taking out a rose, beautiful, beautiful rose. He says, I want you to see how beautiful this rose is. And I want you to smell how beautiful this rose is. He says, as a matter of fact, I want you to like, do it in person. He says, I want you to, here, I'll, why don't you take it? He hands it out to somebody in the congregation, and they take it. He says, yeah, go, go ahead and pass that around. Pass that around. Pass that rose around. And so he begins preaching his sermon, and he is, he is going for it. I mean, the red-faced, angry preacher pronouncing judgment and hellfire for all those who have fallen sexually. And then he finally gets to the end of his sermon, and he says, now, who has that rose? Bring it back up here, please. Somebody brings him back up a rose. And what does the rose look like after it's been passed around everywhere? Just bent and tattered. Petals aren't there anymore. And it looks terrible. And this is his big point. This is the guy's big point at the end of his sermon. He says, now, who would want this passed around rose? It's the same thing for anybody that would fall sexually. Who would want somebody passed around? That's his big point. Who would want that rose? And Chandler says, I sat in the congregation infuriated. I wanted to hit the dude. And I wanted to yell out at the top of my lungs, Jesus wants the rose. That's the point of the gospel. Jesus wants the rose. No matter what you've done, no matter how passed around or how tattered or how messy your life has been, Jesus wants the rose. That's the whole point of Christianity. So no matter what you've done sitting in here tonight, the good news for you is that Jesus wants the rose. Because God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because the book of Romans declares to us that even while we were yet sinners, while we were running, while we were being passed around, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die. Because when you're in Christ, you're a new creation who has the spirit-filled ability to live wise sexually. The old is gone, the new has come. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, it's, it is a heavy topic and it's so personal and we, try, we tend to shy away from that because it might make us feel uncomfortable. 
But here's the truth. Your word says you see everything. There's nothing that we can do to hide it from you. We can live in denial. We can deny a lot to ourselves. But part of what your word does is it just shines a light on the corners of our hearts and our minds that we don't want to be exposed. But not for harm. For good. So that we would know even then, even there, you see us and redeem us and love us and take us to be your own. So we thank you in the name of Christ our